0: You're listening to Text Message, the UK-focused technology podcast with me, Nate Langson. And me, Ian Morris. And if you're one of our Patreon supporters, this is your extended ad-free version of the show. Thank you to patrons including Rich Underwood, Michael Kapper. Richard Taylor, and I'm going to name a whole bunch that are listening to us live in the Discord. We've got Al, we've got Andy, we've got Charlotte, we've got John, we've got Camel, uh, we've got Marta in the room as well. Uh, thank you to everyone for supporting us in whatever way you do. But if you're a patron, then you can get access to all of our extra content and extra message, our sister show that comes out every week or almost every week uh, by going to patreon.com forward slash UK tech the patrons will have a, a particularly long episode this week because at the end we spend uh, oh it'll be at the end of the show for patrons anyway we talked about it before we started recording the main show quite a lengthy discussion about some of the stranger friends i had as a child including um the chap who believed he was a transit van um and my history with uh, with friend of the show who doesn't realize he's a friend of the show, David Shaw. Uh, <laughs> and how we created our own martial arts system. So patrons have that to look forward to uh, at the end of their show. Um, but before we get into this week's episode itself, there are a couple of important things I wanted to mention. Last week on Extra Message, uh, episode 32... I talked about why episode two hundred and three and two hundred and four of Text Message itself uh, were so significant, and that's because I made two hundred and three episodes of the Wired UK podcast before I left Wired to join Bloomberg, and so by hitting episode two hundred and four of Text Message, which is what this episode is, this show is now the longest-running podcast I've ever worked on. So Brilliant. longer than any, anything I did at CNET or at Wired or even still at, at Bloomberg. So, uh, so thanks still listening. Um very 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 happy with uh, uh with that. We did it. Uh, we did do it. We made it. Um and also I haven't said this for a while but we'd be really really grateful uh as a result of this um to anyone who fancied leaving us a new review on Apple Podcasts. Oh. I hadn't exactly. even considered the possibility of a new review on Apple Podcasts because it's been so long. I mean I haven't checked to be fair. And telling a friend or a colleague about the show, like we've got a great number of, of regular listeners, but um, being higher in the Apple podcast chart in particular really helps bring in new fans. And we've always relied on word of mouth, haven't we, Ian? Yes,
1: uh, very much so, because, um, because it's extremely expensive to buy advertising
0: time in the UK. Well, yeah, it is, but 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 also like i haven 't got much time to do promotion for the show, so, if you are a fan of the show, if you are enjoying it, if you know someone who might like it, a colleague, perhaps maybe they 'd like to listen during this unpleasant lockdown period, whatever reason, it would be really, really great um, if you might help spread the word, maybe remind people um, about why you listen and how they can listen that would be That would be delightful and much appreciated, um, but that 's enough um, narcissism for today i think and self-aggrandizing shall we move into the actual show yeah but i'm
1: I'm just checking there were some reviews in late 2019 so we have had uh we had some recent
0: reviews they do they do they do they do come up yeah Um, i should check them more frequently well let's move into the news and in fact i've got a question for you to start us off uh, this week ian if your employer whoever employer um came to you and said ian would you like to have a free COVID-19 antibody test to see if you might have developed an immunity to mm. the virus? But they came to you on condition that you had to agree to share the result of that test with your employer's HR department. Would you mm. accept that test? Well, <clears throat> no.
1: Um, I don't think I would because I, think, I feel like that's a, a slippery slope to worse things. Um, i I don't think in this particular case there's any reason not to share that information, although I don't know what an employer is going to do with it beyond say, okay, well, you can come back to work. Um, But it makes me feel very uncomfortable generally, I think. I think any time you force someone to do something uh, with their personal health data, I think that's not
0: right well in this example you were not forced it was an op- it's, it's a voluntary option you can have no a free fair. test but the condition is you have to tell us the result um, I would be with you I, I also wouldn't accept such an offer but it is a relevant question to ask ourselves at this juncture because at least one company has offered its employees that very choice the company is Babylon the telemedicine provider Babylon and it's, um, it's a scoop I had this week for Bloomberg that I really wanted to talk about last week. But at the time we were recording the previous episode, the, my, the draft of my story was still working its way through the fairly rigorous, well, very rigorous Bloomberg legal and standards process. So it didn't run until shortly after we'd published last week's uh, episode. Um, but in a nutshell, here's what uh, what the story is. Babylon offered to pay for its UK employees to take these co- uh, a COVID nineteen antibody test if they agreed to share the results with the company. It was the company's going to use the same pinprick style uh, uh, blood test kits, which it already sells to consumers for things like kidney and liver function monitoring. Um, this is all according to people familiar who, d- who didn't want to um, be identified. The test, and this this is a really really important bit, the test is voluntary. It, no one has to take this test, from what I was told, but it was being seen internally as a pilot for a wider rollout of COVID-19 testing for consumers and organizations. Hence, the proviso that if you were to be given the free test, they wanted to know the results so that um, it could be used as, a, a, you know, as part of a pilot and, 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 and under better understanding of maybe ethic uh, or efficacy efficacy uh, and 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 to work out the kinks basically uh, before offering something like this more widely and babylon when i did speak to to one of their spokespeople they were they confirmed the story but also they 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 said no one is obligated to to um to take the test and the company was following government advice about return to work procedures which I think goes to what you were just saying Ian about um, one of the potential uses for the data um, being that a company might want to start returning people to an office work environment if they knew that they may have developed some resistance. Now there's lots of questions about the efficacy efficacy of um, antibody tests and that is not our place to go into on this podcast Read into that as you will, um, but I really wanted to talk about it more in general, because I did wonder whether we would have a situation where people might feel pressured separate to whether it's it 's Babylon or whoever doing it but if 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 somebody has been offered a free test, whether they 'd feel Um, They might feel pressured to take it because if you do take it and you find out that you may have developed some kind of resistance or, or there were antibodies detected, could you see that being put on job applications or in some sort of promotional capacity where you could say, hey, hire me rather than this other person because I've taken a test and I'm been shown to have developed yeah. some kind of <clears throat> antibody status like that's something that a few people i spoke to for this story said could happen oh yeah i feel i feel like that's the dark bit really it's like
1: we're, we could see a situation where if you haven't had it and you know most of us won't have done still at this point um you know then you you would be sort of more a, a more preferable employee than someone who um, hasn't had it or doesn't have a v- immunity. So I think that is, a, and that's a, a, any kind of health matter where you're being judged on something you really don't have a lot of choice over is a, an absolutely appalling situation to be in. And um, whilst this one might seem basic and asinine, it it it, it really isn't. It's a it's a just a, a
0: concept as uh, it's horrifying. People like to be verified on Twitter or like to be verified on Instagram, and I've I've seen that people put all kinds of very personal um, brands or brandings in their Twitter profile. Some people say, you know, father of two or vegan or you know all these sorts of things, and 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 they they it's it's a matter of pride, and I get that. And I do think that if we get to the point where people are having these widespread tests and maybe it will become the norm to say, hey, I've had COVID-19 and I've had an antibody test and I have shown to um, be antibody positive or something. And I I sort of worry that if that gets on social media and then you're applying for jobs after the, uh, the recession hits and people start worrying about employment, whether that's something that people in a position of recruitment may look and think well this person's had this and so they're less of a risk Mm. to the workforce and it's very 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 hypothetical it hasn't happened there's no evidence that it will happen but I like to hypothesize how people will use data um, and I can see this theoretically based on history being something they may want to try can i can i tell you a little story then
1: that's relevant in a, it in a tangential way only um some years ago this was when i was at seenet i believe i had a i went on a, a skiing holiday Uh, with a package holiday provider who i won't name um and during the course of that trip uh we all all of the group who were with us all had varying degrees of credit card fraud afterwards um so we had um we had some problems um with it was some money was taken or something like that um and uh when we got back we had um we had to like obviously claim the money back and uh, sign an affidavit and stuff like that and it was um I, I remember having a problem where i was trying to sort something out and it had it had emerged that they that they were able to see interactions on social media so they have they there is already software out there which will tie you to a social media profile which is obviously used by credit card companies quite extensively um, so if you say something on social media relating to an issue you're having with a credit card it can come up later on and what I, I imagine what they're looking for there is you know perhaps tacit Suggestions that you, in fact, were responsible for the spending, or you know, something like that. Um, but I was, I was talking to some people who, uh, who are, you know, who knew enough about the thing and said that yes, it's it's very common. They're, they even named the software that did it at the time. This was quite a long time ago, and I can't remember what it was called. Um, but certainly, it's um, it's it's possible for people to easily find this information, and that is, um, I would say, quite worrying.
0: It's something that we've seen where. People have got into trouble for things they've posted even in their past uh, as children. Well, as I say, as children, but certainly as, as maybe as teens, we've we've seen that come back to bite people in a, in a bad way. And I don't want to be a naysayer or a scaremongering uh, individual because that's not how I see myself. I don't think you are. Uh, and certainly how I don't see this podcast. No. But I do think that in the hurry to end lockdown and to come up with solutions for how that should be done there's an element of experimentation going on where people aren't necessarily able to spend as much time thinking about the ethical repercussions or
1: well people are um, bored aren't they and they're saying things and sometimes the things that they say are perhaps not the right thing not not the right image to project um i mean again i've i've done this i've i've said things on twitter and facebook and um and it has you know, been raised by employers. Uh, well, one particular employer, in fact. Um, and, you know, I suppose some of that was uh, the uh, enthusiasm of my youth and also the belief that people should be able to say things that they want to say, you know, because they're words and they're not, you know, as long as you're not breaking the law in what you're saying. Um, and, you know, and of course, I'm ashamed of some of the things I've said in the past. Um, you know, i just because they're tasteless not because that they're targeted any particular people um but you know i um i do i i do worry about this kind of thing and i I've, I've seen things and we we live in a time where people get cancelled i mean there's a word that people use for it um and i i also worry that we've gone very we've gone way too far into the kind of sensitivity of what people say on twitter is you know is an indictment of them uh and I, I just i don't feel that way i you know i i, I may not um i think people have a persona on social media anyway, but i i would be very worried about all of this kind of stuff and i'm sure we'll hear something come up in the future people will probably put covid survivor in their twitter profiles or
0: something like that that's kind of what i mean it'll I think, be easily scrapable basically I think it'll. I think it, it'll be. It'll be there. Um, but for the time being, I, I still think that, regardless of the um, ethical questions that uh, a move like this makes uh, um, or re- uh, creates, rather, um, it is a very interesting case study of a company saying, "Well, look, we're we're involved in medicine and healthcare. We need to try this out on somebody. So why not?" make it something our employees can do but make it voluntary make them aware of all the um, uh, of the uses that that, that, that their data um, will have and, and leave it up to them but I think that it's going to be the first of several once these sorts of tests become uh, reliable, and we know that that certain adi- antibody tests are reliable. If 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 that happens, because other companies are going to start wanting to do that as well as a way of getting their workforce back into um, into some level of normality, so it's worth thinking about it now, in case that happens over the coming uh over the coming weeks yes, and I, months. I would say. Well, I'll include a link to this story, of course, in the show notes at uktechshow.com. It'll also be in the MP3 description for this episode if you wish to read further. And there's a lot more that we didn't go into on this episode uh, in the story, so do check that out if you wish. There's a lot of discussion in the press and on social media about two closely related but very different issues. One is what Google and Apple are jointly doing to make it easier for health agencies to create contact tracing tools for smartphones. And the other is the app that we know our NHS is working on that'll take advantage of those efforts. So I thought it might be a useful opportunity for us, Ian, to explain how both of these are expected to work, because I've definitely seen a few stories of how Apple and Google are making contact tracing apps, uh, which they aren't. And I've heard criticism that our government wants to use contact tracing to spy on us all, which I don't believe. But I can also understand why some people would be worried that could be true. So I thought we could spend the time to explain how contact tracing works. Would that be a fair use of time, Ian?
1: I think so. I think it would be nice to have a record of how it's actually going to work rather than lots of records of how it's not going to work.
0: Yeah. Well, I've come up with a little scenario to try and explain this because I was on a couple of um, briefings, very unusual briefings actually, uh, jointly held by Apple and Google over the last couple of weeks. And it's I think certainly the first time in living memory that I've been... um, On a call with both of those companies together and um uh, and so i've created a a little hypothetical scenario of two people but i need i need two names two names of people for you i need you to come out with them please uh or, or the chat the live chat room i need two human names for this hypothetical scenario what can we people names yes human people names susan OK, well, our live chat room has come up with uh, the two names that uh, that they would like us to use for this. One is Jeff. That needs no explanation. The other is Boat Shaped Head, which is the nickname of one of the people I went to school with as a child whose real name I can't remember. Um, and that's one of the things that uh, some of our patrons will enjoy hearing all about in their extended version. Um, so excuse the, uh, the choices, but that is the uh, will of the people. So Jeff and Boat Shaped Head, they are our two... People for this hypothetical little scenario, Jeff and Boat Shaped Head are complete strangers. They do not know each other. They are standing in a queue at their local shoehorn shop. Um, they have been in close proximity for a few minutes, but as I said, they don't know each other. They never speak. They're just standing in line. Um, while they're queuing, Jeff's iPhone generates a string of random letters and numbers called an identifier. Uh, Boat-shaped head has an Android phone and his uh, his Android phone also generates a random identifier of letters and numbers. Now the Bluetooth chips in both of their phones can tell if they come close to each other. It's a little bit like when you buy a new wireless mouse or something and you, you turn the mouse on and your computer says, I can see a mouse but it doesn't know anything, really. It just knows that a mouse is, is is nearby. But it doesn't need internet to do that. It doesn't need GPS. doesn't need anything like that. It just knows that there's something nearby. So they can tell that they're, 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 they're close. Um, So both of these phones, one in Jeff's phone, one in Boat Shaped Head's phone, um, they exchange their random identifiers. And then a few minutes later, they create brand new ones. And Jeff and Boat Shaped Head, they leave the shoehorn store. God, we're a weird podcast, aren't we? They leave... <laughs> They leave the shoehorn store with their new horns still having never actually spoken to each other and those identifiers, those random identifiers that they have exchanged, they stay on their phones locally. They are not right now, they're not uploaded, they're not shared. So they're not only nonsensical strings of, of digits, but they're also only stored on their uh, their devices. And this is a big part of how Apple and Google intend for contact tracing to be private and, and anonymous because there's nothing inherently about those identifiers that could connect them or should connect them to any individual. They are just swapped so that it, the other phones know that they have been near the other phone the identifier is the way of, of doing that. So keep that, keep that in mind. Let's say a few days later, uh, boat-shaped head is uh, positively diagnosed um, for COVID nineteen. Uh, he downloads the NHS's app, the one that we know is in development, and and he tells it about the diagnosis in order to get the latest medical advice. What Apple and Google are doing is creating a way for that app, and it's specifically only that app, the NHS app at such point it's released but the same would be true of the local public health authority app in whatever country you're in um, it's only going to be made available to an anointed company or organization um, apple and google are creating a way to for their phone and that app to ask boat shaped head boat shaped heads permission <laughs> to give the contact trade give a contact tracing server the random identifier numbers that his phone has generated over the p- the previous few days and upload them so and and i i know that the the uh, the contact tracing server uh, the technology itself is going to be made open source so it's not connected to iCloud it's not connected to Google um, necessarily it can be deployed by a government on an open source server specifically as a way of locally collecting the random identifiers of devices that have um, owners that have said I have tested positive and just those identifiers so if you saw the server it would just look like a big list of random numbers and that's it there's no connection to a user so that's one of the ways that um that the companies are trying to make it private um did you have a point in i heard you inhale no 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 that was just the regular busyness of uh being
1: alive uh there have oh, okay. very little to add to any of this because it's so uh concise
0: Okay, well let me carry on then with yeah. um with how this would work. What we've established at this point is Google and Apple working together on these APIs. It's fundamental, it's built into new versions of iOS and Android or will be, um that allows for an app to ask for permission to share their random identifiers and just a specific app so it's not Apple and Google making an app uh, nor is it the NHS um, secretly trying to pull on uh, location information in a phone it is a way for a specific app to access something that is being anonymously collected uh, as a result of Apple and Google's partnership so What's the next step? Boat-shaped Head has, has agreed for his uh, identifiers to be put onto this um, server um, so that the next day, Jeff is at home uh, putting on some new boots, let's say, with his new shoehorn. Uh, and every day since having bought that shoehorn, um, his phone has been periodically checking the contact tracing server to see what random identifiers have been uploaded. And right then, As his horn hits the heel, as I've written in my little script here, Jeff's phone detects that there is an identifier number, a digit, string, whatever you want to call it, on that server that matches one that his phone has seen in person before. The numbers mean nothing in and of themselves, but because there's a match, that in in itself means something, which is that Jeff's phone knows that at some point recently... Um, it has been in contact with somebody that has later tested positive for COVID-19. Doesn't know when, doesn't know where, doesn't know how close they were specifically. Um, It just knows that they were close enough for the Bluetooth um, chips to acknowledge each other um, and that one of those two people later said, hey, I've tested positive. When that happens, if Jeff has got in the UK the upcoming NHS app then his phone can tell the app that a match was detected and then the app can alert jeff and offer the latest medical advice and the reason that the that, that this is this is separate is so that obviously in the UK it will be the U, the, the NHS that um that is providing those alerts uh, in, a, in a in with local language and with location specific information, healthcare information that is. But the app doesn't need to know where your phone has been. It just needs to be able to talk to the API on the phone that is the one that has collected the um, the random identifying information. It's a little bit like um, when you pay for something or when you unlock. Um, an app that is using something like face id or a fingerprint the app doesn't see the fingerprint information it doesn't see your fingerprint what it sees is a chip on the phone saying i have verified this fingerprint therefore go ahead and unlock the app the app doesn't see your fingerprint it just sees um the hardware saying yes it has been identified, and it's why when you when when Apple moved from uh, primarily uh, using fingerprints for authentication to using Face ID for authentication, the apps carried on working. They didn't need to be updated in order to support Face ID instead of Touch ID with the fingerprints. It worked because um, all the apps were doing is asking um, a chip on the phone am I okay to unlock this? And it was the chip on the phone that was receiving either the, fi- the the fingerprint ID or the face ID. And that's kind of how this will work. The app will just be able to check, is there a positive ID? And then the app will send out the alerts and the information. That brings me to the end of my little hypothetical explanation here. Um did that was that clear, Ian? Do you it understand? Was.
1: It was crystal clear. I do indeed, and I I, I like I like the tying it into the uh, the Apple Pay or the Android Pay kind of idea, um, and you know those kind of authentication things because it it makes it pretty clear. Yes, I think that was very good. I have very little to add.
0: I hope so. I mean, there are, obviously, there are nuance, nuances to all this. Um, there are many questions that, that critics have, have flung up uh, around things like, well, will contact tracing even work? You know, it, it is true, I think, to say that for something like this to work, you need a majority of a population to opt in to doing it. And these systems will be opt-in, at least in the UK, so we understand. But you would need something like 70 i've seen numbers like 70 or 75% of people to to um to opt into using it in order for it to be effective because it needs a critical mass of data that's why apple and google are working together because collectively with android and iphone you're talking about an overwhelming majority of the world's smartphones so the only way of getting a critical mass is if they teamed up and created a way for an android phone to see an iphone exchange an identifier and for a contact tracing server and down the line an app to have access to the same information so there's no duplication there is a lower chance of false positives or anything like that Um, that's kind of how it needs to work in order to be effective. And there are reasons to believe that you would never get that critical mass. But that's not what we wanted to go into today. I kind of wanted to just present how the NHS is thinking this could work and how it's working with Apple and Google in order to try and achieve that goal. Maybe we'll come to criticisms um, down the line when we actually see an app. Um, But it's currently being worked on by NHSX, which is the NHS's... um, What's the description of it? It's kind of a... Sort of
1: new technology kind of thing i guess isn't
0: it yeah so question then before we, we 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 wrap up on this story would you opt in ian would you are you happy to share with <laughs> you would opt in um, shall i start and say that i i would you would interesting i'm currently thinking i wouldn't
1: and actually that in itself kind of um raises one of the other things the only other issue i can really think of around this um and it kind of goes back to the other thing is is kind of like you know i is this going to be... Because we, we know how things are in this country at the moment. Everything seems to be, you know, polarised. You're either on one side or the other, and you're either right or wrong, and, you know, there's just no no agreement. Is this the kind of thing where if you admitted that you hadn't um, accepted the app and refused to use it, is that the kind of thing that you're going to have um, social backlash from? Um, I, you know, and while I say I'm not going to, who knows? If If someone could persuade me that it was worthwhile um, or if i felt like it would be a a good good to know um, you know if i've been in contact with someone then i would say okay fine um, I still have some questions about how that information gets into the app in the first place. because, um, And we, we were going to do a feedback on this because Tom Merritt emailed and, and said that it would be healthcare professionals that would input that data. But um, we've seen information subsequently, haven't we, that suggests that actually um, it w- people would have to self-certify. Um, and also, we're still not testing enough people for this to actually um, be reliable. If people think they've had it, but actually they haven't, that could be a a huge problem. So just a couple of issues there.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it it relies on a a huge number of things that we we haven't had time and aren't really qualified to go into, which is, is, you know, who's doing the testing, as you say. I'm not going to repeat what you just said because you summed it up accurately. Um, But those are all things we have to be aware of. Um, As far as the chat room goes... um, uh one person said um they think they probably would opt in another says genuinely not sure um another says yes of course I would. So th- there's w- widely differing uh, views on this, I think, even in the sh- tiny sample size of us recording this podcast live. But I would love to get some feedback um, anonymously or-, or otherwise to hello at UKTechShow.com about whether you would opt in, theoretically, based on what we know currently, um, whether you would opt into this um, service uh, and why or what your reasons would be for, for not doing all for all for doing um, hello at uktechshow.com would really really value some input if you'd be willing to share you're used to hearing the smooth velvet sound of Nate's voice drizzled over your ears like a warm eardrum syrup topped off with the freshly squeezed citrus tang of an Ian Morris opinion supporters of the show at patreon.com forward slash uktech Enjoy second helpings every week. So pull up a chair, find your nearest spoon, and tuck into a sumptuous extra helping with no commitment. If you have any allergies, please inform a waiter. We had a nice little bit of feedback from Sean Whitehurst in response to our little discussion the other day, Ian, about um, the the heat generated by old processors i joked that we should get someone to email in with what their favorite inefficient old um computer processor was i'm very pleased to say that a few people did and i like sean's uh, for for his um his brevity Uh, he said i still use an intel i7 920 the first gen in the winter it helps heat my office so i don't have to heat the house in the summer i have a laptop with an i5 that's about half the age of the i7 system and that's from Sean from uh, St Louis. So thank you very much, Sean. Uh, I don't have an i7. Actually, I do have an i7. My gaming rig is an old i7, but I don't know which one it is. It certainly gets very warm. Yeah,
1: that's well. That's the same as my uh, my now Unix machine, which uh, Linux. Li- Linux.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, yeah it's um, it's uh, it's an i7 second gen. So
0: toasty. Yep. Yeah, very good in uh, in in the winter. But uh, keep them coming in. If you have a piece of old technology that you use for heating your house instead of central heating or the sun, whatever it is, uh, you can send them in like Sean did. Hello at UKTechShow.com. Let's listen to what Tom Merritt has been saying about the wider world of tech on Daily Tech News Show this week. Hello, Tom. This week on Daily Tech News Show, a study tries to find an effect of screen times on kids' ability to form relationships. It couldn't. NASCAR drama follows racing into esports. How game development shows the limits to the benefits of working from home. Why Jeff Bezos has gone hands-on at Amazon again, and security threats to Nintendo and Apple get resolved.
1: All that and much more at DailyTechNewsShow.com. Did you uh, Did you hear during when you were talking about the uh, the COVID app? Uh, I took off my trousers. Uh, I was so hot in this room. How would I have heard that? Well, I don't know. I, I I went away from the mic, so you shouldn't have done. But I had to. I had to literally take off my trousers.
0: It's so hot in this room. I mean, you you've not built a great case for yourself because you were late joining the podcast because you were asleep, <laughs> and then you spent part of the show getting naked, undressed. So. Not naked. Not naked. I am absolutely not naked. Mm. I'm
1: wearing well, what what would be considered a risky pair of shorts.
0: I dunno, mate, you've got a nice nice set of pins on you. I'm Thanks sure very much. Absolutely yeah absolutely fine. Pins are all right. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know. If you have an opinion about Ian's legs or indeed any part of Ian's body do let us know hello at UKTechShow.com You can put Ian Body Parts as the subject line and I'll know exactly to whom that should be directed. Hello at UKTechShow.com On the extended version of the show this week for patrons we had uh, quite a lot of extra content that you can look forward to enjoying at the end of this show Uh, but as part of the main show we also dived into the world of the Apple Watch and the smartwatch revolution. Uh, The Apple Watch is five years Years old as of this uh, recording so we, we we spend a bit of time about uh, discussing the history memories favorite things uh, but more broadly about the smartwatch world in general so that's out now if you have access to the patreon version thank you ian for being with us for another another show 204 episodes i know it's, it's pretty good going isn't it i mean I've, I've probably done a fair
1: percentage of them haven't i what do you reckon uh, you've done the overwhelmingly vast
0: majority yeah. of them. Yeah, yeah. So well, yeah, I'm, been, I'm very, it's, I'm very it, grateful.
1: It's been an honour to be here for
0: 204-ish episodes. I feel mm. well. Thank you, thank you to everyone who is still listening after 204. I know uh, quite a lot of people listen to this show. Um, they started listening after I left Wired, which means you've been listening for um, as many shows potentially as I've well put out. Basically, 400.
1: We've got some we've got some CNET holdouts here, haven't we? People who've listened to you and me, and possibly just you on CNET. So I, th-
0: this is massaging our egos a little bit, um, I suppose. So um, I'm, I'm going to cut it off because I don't want to be too too uh, self aggrandizing But uh, but I am extremely grateful for for everyone who has stuck with us, and and hopefully you will continue. But for everybody else, no matter how long you've listened, uh, thank you for listening, even to this first episode. Um, and do let your friends and colleagues, enemies, know whoever. um, But uh, the easiest way to do that is leave us a review in the Apple Podcasts app or wherever you get your podcasts. It will be massively helpful. And I think that'll do, Ian. I'll go and let you sweat out your legs. Oh, well, I can open a window
1: now the podcast's finished. So I'll do that. Okay. Much will help. And I can put my trousers back on and play
0: some Destiny. Oh, lovely. (laughs) Well, we'll see you next week for episode 205. Toodlepip, everybody. Au revoir.